0: on Local Now, Channel 525. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. not yet o'er, don't be deceived, my friend. We must take a place with the brave and true, numbered with the faithful few, doing all that we know to do in the battle for the Lord. Gotta keep marching on in Jesus' name, marching on in His love proclaiming. Marching on till the battle is over With the bloodstained banner raised Gotta keep marching on in victory Marching on to home we see Till we hear the mighty trumpet sounding We gotta keep marching on Many weary miles Felt the pain of the fiery trials Been attacked by the devil's wives Still the church marches on We have been redeemed from Adam's race Sealed and purchased by his grace Heading to a better place Surrounded by an angel band Gotta keep marching on in Jesus' name Marching on as His love proclaim Marching on till the battle is over With the blood banner raised Gotta keep marching on in victory Marching on till the home we see. Till we hear the mighty trumpet sounding you gotta keep marching on, marching on in Jesus' name, marching, marching on in His blood no proclaimed, marching, marching on, on till the battle on. is over with the bloodstained banner raised. Gotta keep marching on in victory, marching on.
1: The secret of a sacred place. The secret of a sacred place. Almighty God, I can't speak this word tonight without your Holy Spirit quickening the word and quickening my heart. So, Lord, you gave it to me. I ask that you would just come now and speak your word through me. Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. David had known great victory first in herding the sheep as he fought with lions and bears. Then he knew great victory when the anointing oil was poured upon his head and he was told that he was to be the next king of Israel. And then the Holy Spirit began to open other doors of opportunity. He was chosen for his sweet music to play for King Saul. Of all the young men in the land, he was chosen by the Holy Spirit to learn the ways of court. He then discovered the awesome power of God as he slung that stone at the giant Goliath and saw him come crashing to the ground, the Holy Spirit set David's feet on a path with the sure word of God that he was to be the next king. Now he's in Saul's service. He serves in the army. He's married to Saul's daughter, Michael. An evil spirit from the Lord is Sitting on Saul, in bitterness of soul, Saul sees this young man and knows that the anointing of God is no longer on his life, but on David's life. So he takes a javelin and tries to kill David. This has happened before. A fit of rage, throwing that instrument of death. He misses. David goes home. King Saul sends men to watch the house because in the morning they plan on taking him and killing him. Michael knows what her dad is planning. She warns David and says, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. We find that in 1 Samuel, the 19th chapter. Michael let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. And Michael took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at its head. Of course, you know, Saul sent men. She said, David's sick in bed. They went back and reported this to Saul, and Saul said, bring him in his bed. Let's kill him right there. Saul says to his daughter, why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away that he escaped? And she said to him, he said, let me get away. Why should I kill you? So you, you know already that she's a liar. But she's worse than a liar. She doesn't love her husband. He runs. She stays. She should have been out that window with him and going wherever he had to go. We find later that mom and dad went with him. They fled. Brothers all fled. The whole family fled with him. But not Michael. She wanted to stay with her daddy. She wanted the privileges of court, even if it meant total compromise in her life. Judgment came on this woman. She was given to another man, had no children. Finally, David demanded as a political deal that she be returned. And she had a scornful heart of David. And the scriptures tell us she never had a child. Barren. Because she was disloyal. Dishonoring the name of God. Not honoring the man anointed by the Holy Spirit. But note what happened with Saul. David flees to the one person who can give him direction. He flees to the prophet Samuel. Now, why would he go to Samuel? Well, I can tell you why I would have been headed to Samuel. I would have been saying to Samuel, your anointing of me has brought nothing but trouble on my life. Did you mean what you said when you poured that anointing oil on me? Or did you miss God, Samuel? Does God really mean to make me the next king, or am I going to die in the wilderness? Because right now it looks like I'm going to die. The whole nation has turned against me. Look, I was the one who took Goliath out, and now they've turned against me. Well, that's when Samuel would have been saying... Believe everything the Lord has said. It's true. You're going to be the next king. So they spent time talking together. Saul sends men. They fall out in the spirit. Sends another company of men and they fall out on the ground in the spirit. Third time and finally Saul himself comes to kill David because He's camped out with the prophet Samuel. And for 24 hours, King Saul's laid out unconscious on the floor, stricken by the spirit. David runs. Where does he run now? He runs back to Jonathan to try to negotiate a peace deal with King Saul. Wouldn't you have done the same? He's second in command of the kingdom. He is the heir apparent. He is in a blood bond of friendship with David. Isn't there some way we can get this life worked out so that I can once more be at court? David is willing to do almost anything to avoid the wilderness. Don't cause me to flee from my life. You understand, his marriage is crumbled. David's never going to want to go back and really love this woman again. He wants her for political reasons, but not because he loves her. He can't trust her. His finances are all being destroyed. He's losing his land. He's losing all of the life he has cherished and built up, everything David has known is now crumbling in his face. He is being destroyed. And yet Saul has said, I'm going to kill him. And Samuel has said, you're going to be the next king. Sound familiar to any of you? Yes, God is going to use you as he destroys your life. God loves you. As everything seems to crumble around you, and you're saying, what's going on? Is this how God treats people he loves? Absolutely. That's how God treats people he loves. That's what Hebrews 12th chapter says. So David now cannot negotiate Jonathan tries to negotiate, and for his attempt, his father tries to kill him at the dinner table. This is a violent man. So what's David going to do? What would you do? David, remember, has the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life. When you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life, and everything else crumbles around you, there is only one place you can go, and that is to a sacred place. You know that a sacred place is your only place of refuge. Now, we say today, Jesus is our place of refuge. That's true. But this is the house of the Lord, and you are here tonight for refuge, or you wouldn't be at the National Prayer Chapel. You didn't come here for a dog and pony show. You didn't come here to be entertained. You came here because it's a sacred place, because the presence of God comes to this house. You came as David came to a sacred place. So what's the secret of the sacred place? What do you gain by coming to the house of the Lord? Now, some people come to the house of the Lord and they go home and they never got a thing. They maybe got some good feelings. They maybe got scratched a little bit where they hurt. But they leave without the secret of the sacred place. There is a secret that you have to know and understand if you're going to walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The secret is this. Behind the ephod, you understand what the ephod is? It's that garment that had the Urim and the Thummim on it. It's believed that the Urim and the Thummim were used to ask God questions. And if the answer was yes, the right stone would light up. If the answer was no, the left stone would light up. There was a a way they could get a direct answer from God. This is the ephod. Well, we think that the ephod is the secret. If I can come to the house of the Lord and I can pray through and get an answer, then I'm set. That's not the secret. The secret is what's behind the ephod. Do you know what was behind the ephod? A sword. That's the secret you get in the holy place, in the sacred place. You get a sword. That's what David got. At the temple of God, at the tabernacle of the Lord. He got a sword. The sword is an offensive weapon, it is not a defensive weapon, it is an offensive weapon. He did not get a shield, he got a sword. Now, he got something else, but it wasn't a secret. It's why everybody went to the house of the Lord, got bread. But he got holy bread, got the broken body of Jesus. So now he leaves the house of the Lord and he has bread to eat and he has a sword. Now, if you leave this house tonight, and all you've gotten is some bread, it was worth coming. But you could get killed on the way home. You need to leave here tonight with a sword in hand, ready to do battle. If you leave the sword behind, you will have no victory between now and Sunday. Sunday you have a chance to pick the sword up again. If you leave without the sword, you'll have no victory. You have to pick the sword up and walk out of here with it and understand what you have in your hands, and you have to understand how to use it. So let's look at it. In Romans, the eighth chapter, and we will look at several passages. Verse 12, Romans, the eighth chapter, beginning with verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So number one, the sword of the Spirit is to be used against the misdeeds of the body. Your body. It's a life and death issue. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. If we share in the battle, there is no suffering if there is no battle. I'll look at another passage with me. The book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter. I'll begin with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You understand what I'm saying to you. This is not Make believe stuff. This is real. There are spirit powers. Brother Herbert had one show up in his house. That was a spiritual power that came there to destroy in his family. There are spiritual powers that have incredible abilities to manipulate, to destroy, to harm to cause depression, to cause discouragement, to cause poverty, to cause every kind of trauma in our lives, even to taking our lives. And if we have no defense against them, if we have no sword of the Spirit, then we are at their mercies. And they can roll over us with all kinds of wickedness, They can cause lust to leap in our hearts. They can cause despair to jump upon us. They can cause every kind of mental disorder. They have the ability to utterly destroy and wipe us out. Now, they have no interest in you unless you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. By coming to this fellowship... You have identified yourself as standing for revival in America. Therefore, you are a target for the devil. You have said, I will stand for righteousness. Therefore, every power of darkness is going to come against you. If you don't understand this and you think you can blow in here and blow out of here and your life's going to go on as normal, you just missed it and you're dead. He'll take you out. So it's armor time for the National Prayer Chapel. Look at the armor. Verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the evil day comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Well, a warrior takes his stand. Do you understand what that means? He gets his feet in position. He has his sword ready. The enemy is coming against him. He is not running. He has taken his stand, and he is not going to be moved. He is going to use that sword as an offensive weapon against the enemy that's coming against him. He's taken his stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. These are not things you put on. These are things you become. Truth becomes a part of your life. Lies are no longer a part of it. The breastplate of righteousness. If you do not have that breastplate of righteousness, if you are still given to the powers of darkness, then you don't have that power a breastplate of righteousness covering you. If you're still intentionally playing with rebellion and darkness, you have no protection for your heart, and you can be ravaged. No, you will be ravaged. Your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In other words, you're willing to go and do and say whatever God tells you to do, and. Go and say, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Any of you recently had a flaming arrow hit your heart? And you've said, how how am I going to survive this? Well, that arrow was not supposed to hit your heart. It was supposed to be extinguished in the shield of faith, where you know this is not a picnic. See, we get deceived into believing, Hey, life is a bowl of cherries. I just happened to get the pits. So life is not a bowl of cherries. And I didn't just happen to get the pits. It's a battle. And the devil ate the cherries and threw them in your face. And if they don't bounce off a shield of faith, we're in trouble. Take the helmet of salvation, knowing where I stand with God, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, if I read that correctly, it's saying that this scripture is an offensive weapon. In fact, it's the only offensive weapon I have. And sometimes sin will come at us and we'll say, I renounce you in the name of Jesus. And it's like it bounces off. Nothing happens. I plead the blood of Jesus over you and it bounces off. Nothing happens. Why? You've got to use that sword. You've got to know where and how to use that sword to destroy that power that's coming against you that would destroy your mind and your heart and take your soul to hell. Now, fighting with the sword of the spirit is not real complicated. I mean, I can imagine. Can you, the devil comes at me with some lying thing, and I say, okay, devil, let's sit down and have a Bible study. I don't think so. Before I even get started, he'll have his sword sunk into me, and I'll be dead. No, it's a matter of taking the sword of the Spirit, setting my feet and I'm ready to take you on. The devil comes into some of your homes, and he causes bitterness and anger and disruption. He causes everything. It's an open sieve. The devil is welcome to come flying in anywhere he wants to come in. It's like you have a sign on your front door. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in Laramie, Wyoming. There were a lot of hobos in town they'd come into town, they'd begin going to certain doors. They wouldn't go to every door. They'd go to certain doors. I asked my dad, how do they know to come to our door? Because they'd always come and knock on our door and say, I'm hungry. You have something around here I could do to help you. I earned some money, earned some food, just a meal. And Dad would always say, sure. And he'd put them out on the wood pile to chop the wood, or he'd put them out doing something, and he'd go in the house and get a big dinner ready for them. Well, I said, Dad, how do they know to come to our house? So he took me outside, and he showed me. There was a mark on the front of our house, put there by the hobos that meant our house was (laughs) hobo-friendly. So they knew to come to our house. We were a hobo-friendly house. That was part of the ministry that mom and dad wanted to do. We call them today homeless people. Sometimes we had a spare bedroom. Sometimes dad would invite them to come in and spend the night with us. Some of you have the sign of the devil on the front of your house. This is a devil-friendly house. You're welcome to come on in here. You can beat me up anytime you want to beat me up. You're welcome to come in here and bring your lies anytime you want to bring your lies. Anytime you want us to get mad and have a fight in this house, just come on in, Mr. Devil, we'll have a fight. Whatever it is you have to bring us, just bring us your best gifts, Mr. Satan. We'll welcome you here. We'll have gossip here. We'll have accusations. We'll have all kinds of trouble. Sin is welcome here. A devil-friendly house. The opposite is a man or woman, a boy or girl of God, who has in their hands the sword of the Spirit. And if the devil tries to come in, they're alert and watching, and they deal with him, and they drive him out. You know what I've seen around my house? A band of angels. Fire. You know what I had a witch tell me? I tried to get in your house last night. How come you have those fiery beings around your house? I laughed. I said, those are the army of the Lord. How do I know they're there? Because others have testified, but I'll tell you how I know they're there even more. I've asked the Lord for them. I've asked the Lord to put a a wall of fire around our home to guard us. To not allow any evil power or any evil force to come into our home. Every night before I go to bed, I'm saying, oh, God, guard our house. When I'm driving out and leaving, I'm saying, God, this is your house. This is your place of abiding. Guard it. Don't let the devil into this house. Do you understand this is a war? There are powers in the spiritual realm that are more real than any revolver or any rifle or any shotgun. And their intent is to maim and kill and destroy. That our hope will be lost. So that raises the question of practical training with the sword of the Spirit. If you please, this is Self-Defense 101. You find it in the fourth chapter of the book of Matthew. Jesus goes into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's hungry. His body is consuming itself. He needs nourishment. And the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The devil is a very boring character. He does not have many avenues of attack. If we can understand his three basic attack areas, we know where to cover. The first and foremost place that the devil always comes is he comes and says, you're having a hard time, aren't you? He comes and sympathizes with our hard time so that we will enlarge upon how hard our time is. Oh, yes, Mr. Devil. It's miserable. It's just terrible the way I'm being treated. I'm being spoken to in a way that nobody should, nobody should speak to me that way. He says, you know, you're right. The devil loves to come and sympathize with God's people. He comes and knocks on our door and he says, I'm so sorry God's treating you so badly. Why don't you just go ahead and use the skills and talents that you have? Just do it yourself. If God's treating you so badly, why don't you just go ahead and do it yourself? God's not going to take care of you. You're going to have to do it. No, don't give to God what he's asked you to give. Don't even give to God what your heart wants to give, because if you give God $5, you're just out $5. It's a con game. God doesn't care about you. That's what he comes and says. Lose your wife. Lose your home. Lose your car. Lose your retirement. Devil comes to see see what God does. This is what happens when you get serious about serving God. Remember Job? Yes. Well, you're Job with no increase. You're going to die. God was good with Job. You're unrighteous. Job, he was righteous. You're not righteous. So why don't you just go ahead and do it yourself? Because if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. You better pick up those side jobs. You better skip. You don't even want to go to the house of God. You want to go make some money. Because the devil knows the place where you're going to get the sword that you could take his head off with is at the house of God behind the ephod. He doesn't want you to show up at the the men's prayer meeting or at the women's prayer group. He doesn't want you to show up there. He wants you to be isolated by yourself where he can pick you off. He wants you where he can work confusion in your mind and where he can finally say to you, okay, You see what you're getting by doing this? Now just go ahead and use the ability you have and make things happen. That's such a simple argument. And he uses it so very well. But notice what happens when Jesus picks up the word of God and stabs him. Verse 4. It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the devil comes and says, look how bad God's treating you. You better just step in and do it. And you say, it is written. I don't live by what I create. I live by the word of God. Everything God has said is true. What a difference it would have been for David if when he was leaving his home, when everything was being destroyed around him, if he had taken a position and said, God said I would be king, everything God has said will be true. He would have saved himself a miserable, miserable time at Ziklag. But it was at Ziklag that finally it says, he got comfort. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And his deliverance from the wilderness journey was when he encouraged himself in the Lord. What would have happened had he encouraged himself in the Lord years earlier? See, this is what God is trying to get at in this fellowship. He's trying to get at this issue that man does not live by bread alone. Yes, we need to go to a giant grocery store, but that's not where we live. We live on the Word of God. And when we put that into the devil's face, and we find comfort in the Word of God, he has nothing more to say to us. But he has another line of attack. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. Oh, now the devil's going to quote scripture to you. You're going to use the scripture. He'll quote scripture to you. Now, you know, he's speaking of Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You say, he's quoting scripture. No, he's not. He is misquoting scripture. Look at Psalm 91. Let's compare it. Notice the difference. He will command his angels concerning you. Did you notice the next phrase? to guard you in all of your ways. And in context, it's all of your ways in righteousness. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways of righteousness. So the devil's trying to convince Jesus that he doesn't have to be righteous, but the angels are still going to guard him. Now, if the devil had continued to quote in the same passage, he would have said in verse 13, you will tread upon the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent, who is the devil, obviously. Well, the devil chose to leave that part of the quote out. So he has a very selective quoting of Scripture, Verse 14, because he loves me, says Jesus, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Oh, the devil didn't say any of that. He left all that out. So the devil's going to come and he's going to twist scripture to somehow justify you in putting God to the test. What does it mean to put God to the test? Taking an action that is for me, where if God doesn't step in and deliver me, I'll be destroyed. Most often it's done by kiting a check. Okay, I've got to do this. God knows I, I, I've i got to pay this bill. I've prayed about it. God's just going to have to make sure it's covered. Just tested God. No, my car's broken down. I've got to have it repaired. I've, I've got to go to work. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do this. Here's the plastic. I'll cover it. I'll trust God to give me the money to pay for it. God's not going to give you the money to pay for it. He's going to let you lie down in torment. He did it to me time after time after time. Where I test God and I say, okay, this is what I need. God said, after all, I was going to be the next king of Israel, didn't he? Might as well just go ahead and Raid the Philistines, get the Amalekites, and Ziklag is burned. There was a reason why Ziklag was burned. It was God's judgment. See, if we'll take this word of God that says, do not put the Lord your God to the test, or again, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, these are just very brief, short passages of scripture that are used to utterly diffuse the devil's power so that he has no influence on my thinking or on my actions so the despair and the discouragement comes against me what do i say to the devil well i might i might quickly uh, give him this passage in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Take it, Mr. Devil, on the chin. God's for me. He's not against me. You can't bring any charges against me, devil. This is what the scripture says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Any of you suffer anything that bad this week? Some of us have had hardship this week. Some of us have had some persecution this week. None of us, I would guess, have had any famine from our appearance. And none of us have had nakedness from our appearance. Have you faced death? Some of you have. No, in all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Mr. Devil, Jesus loves me. I'm a conqueror in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? You don't read these scriptures just to be entertaining yourself. You read these scriptures because they are sharp swords of the spirit to be used against the devil when he comes against you with his lies and his half-truths and you lift up the shield of faith, and you say, I will believe this word of God. God has said to me, I am going to establish the National Prayer Chapel in one day. I've been waiting now for years for that to happen. Because I have waited, does that mean that the promise is any less sure? No, it simply means I'm one day closer to the fulfillment of what God has promised me. So my heart is lifted up and I rejoice in him because what he said to me was true. I've gone back to the Lord and said, Lord, did I miss you? Was that just the devil fooling me? Did you really mean that you would establish a church in one day and that revival would break out? Did you really mean that, God? And Jesus has confirmed that to my heart time after time. Now, if I go back and ask him, he won't say anything about it. Just silence. You know why? Because he said it, and he said it, and he said it. Now he expects me to take the shield of faith and lift it up and no longer allow the devil to pierce my heart by what the circumstances seem to be. We talked about if you don't get to Jesus, someone in your family is going to die. And that's true. But you understand when you get to Jesus, what he's going to do? He's going to put the sword of the spirit in your hand and tell you to go to fight. He's going to tell you to go to war. He's going to say, here's my word. Use it against the devil. Fight with it. When I started this journey in the prayer closet, committing an hour a day to pray. After 10 minutes, I was out of everything I had to say, and I'd said it twice already. I didn't know what else to say. I mean, how long can you moan? How long can you whine in the prayer closet? Well, I finally learned to get that down to quite an art. God never answered my whine. I went days at a time when it seemingly all I could see when I would bow my head and I'd lay on the floor and I would weep before the Lord. All I could see is a fence in front of me. It came to the place I no longer wanted to close my eyes when I prayed because when I closed my eyes, all I could see was a fence. I knew I was fenced out of the kingdom of God. I could not get to God. There was a fence there. It was not until I began to pick up the scriptures and use them as an offensive weapon that I began to gain victory in the prayer closet. When I began to pick up this word and read it aloud to God, and say, I stand that your word is true. My circumstances don't look like your word is true. But that's the devil messing with my vision. That's my human inability to understand your word is true. And I began to pray the scriptures and stand on them, and not give up, and not back up. And that's when God began his incredible deliverance in my life. That's when God brought Jan. It's also when God began to take everything away from me. By the grace of God, when I had to climb out the window, Jan came with me. And when we moved 40-some time, she packed the house. And she moved with me when she should have been moving away. She came with me. God gave me a wife who would walk with me. I know what it is to climb out the window and have your wife not go. By the grace of God, I also know what it is to climb out the window and have my wife go with me. Whether my wife comes with me or not doesn't matter. I'm still going out the window. And I went to the house of God and got the sword. And I went to battle. That's what I'm speaking to your heart tonight. The word of God. Get a hold of it. Go to war with it. And gain the victory in your family with it. Mighty King of heaven. I stand on your word. It's faithful and it's true. You are not a liar. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, would you give us the courage in this house to pick up the sword of the Spirit? Would you guard our hearts with the shield of faith? Lord, could there be a breastplate of righteousness with no known rebellion in this house? Thank you, O Lord. Pray in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. And we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Also visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
2: Where is the fight
0: Where is
2: the search For holy desire Where is the power That we once knew long ago I want to know Let the church rise up Let the church